Are you looking to expand your musical horizons in a massive way? If so, you need to check out Thoughts and Experiments with Solo Piano, the first ever course from the 15-time Grammy-nominated pianist Fred Hirsch. Described by Vanity Fair as the most arrestingly innovative pianist in jazz over the past decades. Equal parts Zen master, psychologist, and old school piano teacher Taskmaster, Fred Hirsch brings 45 years of experience as a master jazz pianist and composer to bear in his teachings. Fred focuses you on the underlying process of music making, regardless of the level of music information you have at your command all in the service of helping you become a better solo pianist and a more creative and emphatic jazz musician. And as Fred says, love the music and it will love you back. So check out Thoughts and Experiments with Solo Piano from Fred Hirsch, available now exclusively at openstudiojazz.com. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, Peter. Hey, Adam. Do you remember the 90s? Ooh, do I remember them? I cherish them. I love them. I want to go back to them. Well, buckle up, buddy. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear Podcast. Music advice coming at you from any decade. From any decade. You know what I've never said before in my entire life till about 30 seconds ago? Hey, Peter. No. <laughs> I've said that way too much. Buckle up, buddy. Where the hell did that come Man, you from? You know what it is? Buckle it's, up, buddy. Buckle up, buddy. We're going to the 90s. <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes the red light's on. You just don't know what's going to come out. Ugh, buckle the red up. light comes on. We. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, buttle, buttle up, Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> Let's butter it up. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know what, though? You're right, though. Buckle up, because this... We're talking about an era that I think is uh, just an amazing, groundbreaking, swinging, grooving, tradition-laden era of jazz. The 90s. The 1990s. Would you say that this is an underrated era? I would. You know, it's both underrated and overrated <laughs> at the same time. I don't know why. People are not as, not nostalgic enough and yet too, too nostalgic, nostalgic about right. the 90s for sure. I love the way, uh, actually, Nicholas Payton came up with a hashtag on this. It's like back in the 90s. It's, it's a very long hashtag, so it's had trouble catching <laughs> along. <laughs> and back in the 90s when cats were really swinging. That's like the, oh. that didn't even, that's like more than one tweet, even the hashtag, you know. Yeah. But I think that there is, uh, y- you know, I think there is something to be said said about it, you know. And I have to be careful here because I'm from that era. You're almost from that era, but I think that you're a little safer because you're you're you were just dabbling as a as as a pro in the '90s. But you got to be careful yourself. I was dabbling as a pro. I was just barely a pro in the '90s, uh, and I was loving the music from like I mean, I guess really '94, '95 is when I started to listen to a lot, mm. a lot of jazz and really get into it. Yeah. So, which was a great era to get into it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Um, cause if you, I mean, you could go to, there was a lot of live music still, first of all. Right. right? So we used to go down to the hotel majestic oh, yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. Just jazz. Was did your dad that. take you to? Uh, yeah, my just, dad. My dad. My dad did too. Man. Yeah. We got we to gotta get your dad and my dad together. It's, it's possible the was... four of us were there checking out like Ray <laughs> no, the Ray Brown is, trio at no, some this point. This was way before you were uh, there. Man. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was. It, it's definitely everything we have today. I I grew up listening to. I think as you did, but you were 
you're on some of these. So, well, like, no, no, no. We were. I'm not supposed to be. We had a we had a little agreement on that that I was not going to actually be on any of these. But this, but it's buddy. But I did some you're, stuff during my this humble, era. my humble friend Peter. You are you. You have to be on some of these '90s. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Well, no. So the ones that I pick, there's a bunch of artists that are friends and that I've worked with and played and recorded with. But I, uh, I avoid anything that I'm on, not out of shame or anything. Just these, these are like what do we call these favorites? I just really put down my favorites. I could have put down ten more, twenty more. You could have. There too. could have been twenty more. These yeah. are really a sampling, and we're gonna count them down from seven down to one. Ooh, I like that. And I would say it's in no particular order, but there's definitely an order to this. Where I, I think we're going from from my best to worst, worst to worst best. to best. <laughs> no, there's no worst in the I group. Know, of course not. But it's really just I think when I think of favorite '90s albums, I think of albums that really had huge impacts on when all the players. I think of favorite albums. And oh, buddy, oh, you're gonna fit in right with number uh, seven. Shall wait, we get into it? When I think and it worked really well with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I digress. But you digress. So. Let's get into it here. No, oh, we really are starting at, at at the bottom of the list. Not see, ooh, there I said it again. The bottom of the list. The if, bottom of the list is a great place, dude. I mean, if you check out, like, the bottom of the list is is the Brad Meldow trio. So that's well, a I pretty know. amazing place I, to start. Come well, on. that's that lets you guys know what the high quality level we're we're, we're talking about. When number seven is yeah. Brad so Meldo. really, any of the first three or four Brad Meldow albums, which I think were all in the nineties, could have made this list. But I went with the classic Art of the Trio Volume One. Of course, Brad Meldo on piano, Larry Grenadier on the bass, Jorge Rossi on drums. Uh, this is, I think, a really influential album for a lot of pianists and piano trios. Oh, uh, probably the most influential the trio late, album, certainly, of that, that decade. That decade. So this is uh, the... the uh, oh, you know what, man? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, he's calling it audible. Okay, call- I can see him. Look, look, look at him. He's getting excited over it. He's going, woo I'm going to I'm gonna switch it up here. I'm going to switch it up to, uh, let's play I Don't Know no, What I Time. F- I didn't know what time it was. Okay. I had a Lennon-McCartney still- track on here, and I realized that we're live. Oh, that was good. That <laughs> yeah, was you know, Actually, that's good. Right, yeah, so same anyway. album, volume one, yeah. Live at the Village. Vanguard. I didn't know what time it was. Yeah. were born without a sixth beat i know <laughs> they had five fingers and five toes just like the rest of us that's the language right there yeah man. so there's the brad mellow trio with the the trio's unique sense of rhythm sense of uh dynamics sense of groove sense of groove, sense of groove. and i love like i remember uh hearing them uh, right around, I actually I might have I, I don't know I I was definitely at this 
at that gig that week when they're at the Vanguard. I believe that this, so this came from the entire. Oh, this is not from that the was Vanguard. number two was live at the Vanguard. This was oh. actually a studio record. Okay. Number one was a studio. Well, yeah. somebody no. did their homework. Somebody didn't. Apparently, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> it's no. I was gonna say. I was like, what a studio sound that they got at the that volume two. Okay. No, it's volume two, three, and four are all at okay. the Vanguard, I believe. Okay, no problem. Yeah, I'll I can. Just, I could be wrong about that, but it was I'll rip a, that up. <laughs> rip that. No problem. No, but there was there was a he was kind of like doing a lot of stuff live, doing a lot of stuff yeah. in the studio. But this one was in live in the studio, live in the studio. This one was in the studio. That's I didn't know what time it was. And again, man, the sound of that trio, it's like one of those groups, especially with Jorge Rossi, where it's just like, yeah, that's that 90s Meldau trio. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. And I mean, Larry Grenadier, I think that this was the first time when I really sort of somewhat consciously started to think about, especially in a trio setting, like playing in five and playing in seven in a way in which the bass player and the drummer and the pianist are not feeling the overall architecture of that groove exactly the same way. And I won't go deep into this because then it's a little bit controversial because it's like, wait, they're all feeling the groove. Of course they are. But what really I think hits on some of the advanced concepts they had and how to take advantage of that unique trio and that trident of, of instruments was the way that Brad would dance over a bigger phrase of that five while Larry would be like really digging in and Jorge would kind of go back and forth yeah. and like they would explore those options in really interesting ways. And I remember hearing that at the time. I was like, wow, that's a hip way of playing over that. Yeah. And it always kind of stuck with me. But it always makes sense and always feels right. It's yeah. that trio is, is a, is a listen that I recommend for people trying to get into odd meters, yes. you know, for like things like five, seven, yep. uh, because, because it's super natural, but yeah. there's a lot of advanced stuff that as you get into it, even years later, you can come back and be like, ah, that's how they it did feels that. earthy and organic. And yeah, yeah. So, Peter, let me ask yeah. a question. Yes. What if I told you there was an album that had uh, not only Joshua Redman. Yes. But Branford Marsalis. Yes. Stanley Turrentine. Yes. Joe Henderson. Yes. Ron Blake. Yes. And Johnny Griffin. Would that be something that would interest you? <laughs> yes. Yes, now, yes. Now, I'm in. You had me at Stanley Turrentine. Now, what if it also had Rodney Whitaker on bass, Gregory Hutchinson on drums, Come Cyrus on. Chestnut on piano, but it wasn't any of these <laughs> players' albums. Right. Is this something you would listen to? This is something I would listen to. This is something that, I mean, these are my guys. This was my <laughs> era. pretty awesome, Yeah. Man. Just I saying mean, that out loud. So but, this is... But bigger than that, well, yeah. No, no, I'm I'm in and all that. I'm, I'm I, You had me at Roy Hargrove. Act. Oh, sorry. I didn't say oh, Roy sorry. Hargrove yet. Come on, man. <laughs> no, this is Roy Hargrove's Tenors of Our Time, 1994, an amazing record. I mean, yeah. just, if it was just Roy and the rhythm section and one of these guys, yeah. that would be awesome. But all of those tenor saxophonists I mentioned are making an appearance on this album. And and I'll just, you know, full disclosure, the reason I picked this one <laughs> was because I was kind of like, I got to have Roy on, it's the 90s, but there's so many great records of his. But this one I felt like was the, I mean, it's just one of my favorites, first of all, but it's also, uh, I think, a great intersection of Roy's a master, you know, really being a master of developing a young band of his peers. Mm. And of course, with that rhythm section, um, you know, especially Greg Hutchinson and Rodney Whitaker, those two bass and drums, and then Ron Blake being associated with Roy in terms of two horn players and Cyrus. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, but also with his 
you know, uncanny ability to connect with the masters, the older generation, the Stanley Turnsteins, the Johnny Griffins. And, you know, I had the pleasure of playing with both of them with Roy and like Roy fit in like he was one of the old heads. We were all just kind of like, oh, we're so excited to play. But I mean, Roy was just like he was just like an old soul, you know. And so this record and with the tenor, it's such a great ability of Roy to play with saxophones. You know, it kind of brought all those worlds together. So let's check out Sopping the Biscuit. Ah, uh, first track. First track. Yeah, Roy's. <laughs> Man, it feels too good. That's Sop of the Biscuit from With the Tenors of Our Time. Roy Hargrove, uh, 1994. Incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, I can't recommend that one enough, man. Any any of these, actually, worth a deep dive. Listen. So next up, uh, it's the first appearance of a, a vocalist from uh, the... This is actually the last year of the 90s, 1999. Yes. This is Diane Reeves. Do you yes. know Diane? I do know Diane, and you know what? I think, uh, I mean, if you were to press me on my favorite Diane record, I mean, I just love her. I love Diane, uh, and I love her her as a musician, as a vocalist, as a person. Um, but I know her records really well, going all the way back to, you know, Palo Alto Sessions, Better Days, Never Too Far, the old school 80s Blue Note stuff. That's for another episode. The well, 80s. we got to do I Love the 80s next. I Love yeah. the 80s, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that, if I were to be pressed on one album of any era, I don't know. But if I chose this one, I, I would I would be okay with my decision. There's like four of her records that I think are just pinnacle, pinnacle, but like the Mount Rushmore. But this one was probably this is a beautiful record. Yeah, this Bridges. Is, of this course. is Bridges from 1999. There's a, a really long list of of great players who play on this entire album. But this track, Suzanne. Uh, this features Reginald Veal on the bass. Yep. Brian Blade uh, at Brian the drums. Brian Blade at the yep. drums. This is, I think it's Billy Childs on this one. Yep. Billy Childs. Uh, and he did the arrangement of this, of of the the incredible, I believe it's Leonard Cohen, right? Did uh, Suzanne? Yeah. And Leonard Cohen's song. Uh, Kenny Garrett plays the saxophone. Oh, man. Just check out, if, for folks that don't know this track, check out, and we're going to, Kenny Garrett is going to make another appearance later. The haunting Kenny Garrett saxophone playing at the very beginning of this track mm. is just one of the things that just makes me my my, my heart sore but 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 that that this alone kind of pushes it into the conversation at least one more credit here uh the great romero lubombo plays guitar on this that's track, right so. absolutely and produced by um a gentleman by the name of george duke who is um gone but far from forgotten Amazing. a great guy legend, great guy. legend. here's suzanne from bridges diane reeves 1999 
Okay, I've, so I'm sorry to, we gotta start this again because, then, dude, like, I forgot about this album oh my God. and how incredible, okay. Yeah. Oh, and also- This is a great thing about doing these like throwback playlists, you know what I mean? Right, and Munyungo Jackson, big, like a lot of the percussion and soundscape stuff. Yeah. I mean, all, all of it, out, that, that's outside of what Brian Blade is doing on that drums, that's Munyungo Jackson, which is amazing too. You really hear that at the beginning. You know, like some of these, it's like, you know, it's like, I have this checked as like, I love that album. Yeah. But then when you hear it again for the first time in a while, you're like, oh man, that's why I hear it is again. Suzanne. Mm. Can you hear it? Wow. Suzanne takes you down to a place near the river. You can hear the boats go by. You can spend the night beside her. And you know that she's half crazy. But that's why you want to be there. And she feeds you tea and oranges like a mom. That you have no love to give her Then she gets you on her way And she lets the river answer That you've always been her lover And you want to travel with her And you want to travel great suzanne diane reeves just amazing billy child's on the arrangement amazing yeah, yeah. i mean i would just say that the the arrangement that billy does on that and the production from george duke the incredible musicianship the incredible vocalist i mean it just uh, vocals it just it all comes together in a way that's just magical the production has a very 90s flavor to it in the yeah. best possible way like yes. all of the like 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 romero's guitar sound with the piano in there I yeah mean, it's just so beautiful man yeah Wow. Uh, okay, next up, number four is uh, from Ooh. the great Nicholas Payton, Payton's Place, 1998. This is, I think, one of my all-time favorite albums, not of just the 90s, but of any decade. And uh, you've got Back to the Source here as the chosen track. <laughs> I love I love this whole record. I love all of Nicholas's stuff. Uh, he was young in the 90s, but to me, along with Roy, uh, he just really typifies that sound. And we were joking before about the hashtag back in the 90s when cats were really swinging. But just check out the vibe. Adonis Rose on drums, um, Nicholas, Tim Warfield, um, Ruben Rogers at the bass, friend of the pod, friend of the pod, Ruben Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when they come in, I don't know. It's Anthony Wanzi on. Anthony Wanzi, yeah. sorry, of course. Anthony Wanzi on. Like, this was such a tight quintet that they had for a long time that Nicholas had. 
but the vibe, the the kind of sass that they played with sass. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word. You know, just what, what do you call that? Not sass. I uh, definitely don't call it sass. <laughs> sass. I was. They got sassy. Oh no, just the 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 vibe and the verb. And this is one of back like, in the sass. <laughs> this is one of several verb records, which definitely had its own sound with the great. We have a couple of verb records up in here. You that's know right. what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Verb uh, was was making it happen in the nineties. That's right, for sure. Back in the nineties, when cats were really swinging. Here's back to the source. Peyton's place. So good. <laughs> Thing. This whole album is like this. The I whole, know, I like know. the whole album is swinging. Can like we just they... listen, listen to the whole album? Come on, man. No, I mean, I mean, literally the whole album. Wanzie. <laughs> Seriously though, does anybody combine swing and sound like Nicholas Payton? I mean, the sound. Sa- There's no other trumpet player that no. I think can touch the swing and the sound of Nicholas. Absolutely. Payton. And I think the way also that he wrote for this classic. I mean, tenor trumpet piano bass and drums it's it's both it's simultaneously so easy and so difficult to pull off because it's been done well and just you know exemplified it's so strongly by the miles davis quintet so it's like where do you run from that where how are you influenced of that by that or do you run from it or whatever and to be nicholas i mean went marsalis with the quintet in the 80s that original quintet i say that he did that a lot as well in a different way mm. but to me you know this quintet writing and the way they played the details in that with the bass lines and the left hand piano very 90s super hard swinging super sophisticated detail oriented great dynamics great groove great kind of flair for, for 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 details and groove and again just to to make it clear to everybody there is a glaring there are a couple several glaring omissions from our list here oh, yeah. and the fact that there's not a marsalis on the yeah. list is a little weird actually yeah. but it come yeah. on adam why no, did, i mean why, why did you omit well him? no people exactly <laughs> no. people in the chat i mean there's just so many great records yeah. we could have chosen people we said the, top seven we didn't say come <laughs> on we, we just said favorite seven yeah um but but there's we could do our own we should actually do a marsalis playlist at yeah. some point of all the entire Marsalis family. And look, we did, f- yeah, sorry, go ahead. You know what I mean? Just make a playlist of our favorite Marsalis yeah. albums from all of the Marsalis clan, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and like, look, full disclosure, I just realized, you know who we left off of here? So this actually excuses <laughs> us from leaving Winston and all these, other- Herbie Hancock, a guy named Herbie Hancock know, is no, not on here. There's no Keith Jarrett, there's no Herbie <laughs> there's Hancock, no there's Jarrett. no Chick Corea, there's, there's nothing. Yeah, 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 all those guys were great. Ron Carter, a lot of great stuff. A lot there. of great stuff. So give us some slides. These are just- Freddie Hubbard, I mean, there's legends oh, that are just left Joe off. Ha- yeah. oh, wait, wait, well, hold on, hold on. So the next couple are, we have two legends here coming up. This is another Verve record. 
This is we've talked about th- this on the podcast many, many, many times. Yeah. Uh, this song, uh, I'm never ever tired of playing in my musical career. Whenever yeah. a singer who uh, I, I, I'm lucky to be play, playing with a few singers here in St. Louis who can really <laughs> sing this song. And it's just the highlight of the gig every single time. And yeah. this whole album, man, this is Shirley Horn, Here's to Life, of course. The arranging, didn't you say the string arranging here is just taking her piano chords? Well, I what I believe uh, Johnny Mandel, this is what I heard um, from some reputable sources that I believe were actually at this session, was that they recorded most of these tracks, if not all of them, with just Shirley Horn with her trio uh, with Charles Abels and Steve Williams, which is a great show. I got a chance to hear them live a bunch of times. Amazing. I mean, one of the great, uh, kind of unheralded as a trio. Everybody knows Shirley Horn, of course, but she had a great tr- trio with her playing. But that she recorded these tunes, um, just playing them trio, and the strings were arranged and added afterwards by Johnny Mandel. Yeah, so this is uh, Charles Abels on the bass, Steve Williams on the drums, uh, and Johnny Mandel as the arranger and conductor from Shirley Horn playing piano and singing. Here's to life. This is 1992. No complaints and no regrets. I still believe in chasing dreams and placing bets. But I have learned that all you give is all you get So give it all you've got I had my share I drank my fill And even though I'm satisfied I'm hungry still To see what's down another road beyond a hill And do it all again Hollywood, baby So here's to life And every joy it brings So here's to life To dreamers And their dreams Shirley Horn, Here's to Life, 1992. Amazing. Amazing everything. Amazing piano playing. Amazing singing. Amazing arranging. Everything. Everything. And I just want to say a big shout out to just everybody that was part of this. But David Baker was the engineer of this. I got a chance to work with him a little bit. He's not with us anymore. One of the just true masters. And, you know, I think that uh, different record. I mean, the engineering is always important. Like to, to the casual listener, not even to the casual listener, to the to the very intent listener. They may not realize what an impact production and engineering has on the final product i would say when you hit this very high level in terms of musicianship uh and album production and engineering as does this record almost an equal impact if not an equal impact i mean it's all part of the same team and all part of the same impact and so david baker had such a uh his his thumbprint was all over this record it can't make it can't make the music better 
Well, but it can make it worse. It can. You ever <laughs> heard of a little thing called Auto Tune? Not on Shirley Horns <laughs> no, records. No, 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 no. No, but it, I mean, it can't make up for bad music. Right. Of but course. it, it you can't can, polish a turd. Can't yeah, polish a turd. Can't polish a turd. But it can also, you could really lose some stuff. <laughs> you know, right. you could lose the polish. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So. That's right. Uh, so the next album, this is also early 90s, also 1992, actually. This is Joe Henderson, and this was a big moment uh, in Joe Henderson's career. Some more he, verve, a little more verve. A little more verve. I believe yeah. he won the Grammy for this. He did. Lush Life, the music of Billy Strayhorn, an amazing record. He won the Grammy. I remember this because this is, of course, Greg Hutchinson playing drums on this. Chris McBride playing bass. Bass, right. Although on this track is only, I believe is only, oh, wait, which which track are we Take listening? the A train. Yeah, I think this is just a duo. Yeah. Um, Gregory Hutchinson and Joe Henderson. But I remember after this won a Grammy, you know, I was super tight with Greg, still am, and, and Christian and all of them. But I remember being Greg being like, yo, man, I won a Grammy before you. Ha ha ha. Like he was that was <laughs> he definitely said that a lot around this time. Yo, I'm twenty one years old. I got a Grammy. Peace. Well, the whole album, I mean, so it's the, the rhythm section are all real like it's a young Christian McBride, a young Gregory Hutchinson, yeah. a young Stephen Scott Steven on Scott piano. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wynn Marsalis plays trumpet yep. on a couple tracks. A couple think, tracks, yeah. yeah. On that doo dee doo. He he does some great work on that. I think the what's that tune? Is this David Baker too? This record, production wise, I don't think so. But that's a that's a great question. There's another verb. It's find the same that year, but this yeah. the sound of this. It's album. Richard Seidel produced. I do know that. Oh, amazing. So yeah. uh, the sound of this album is incredible. This yeah. is "Take the A Train" from Lush Life, the music of Billy Strayhorn, Joe Henderson, 1992. played better than on this kind of stuff here on this record man this is like it's it's hard not to put this up there in his whole yeah. amazing career of work as one of the great works of it art was a fun made. yeah it was a fun time i think for joe henderson um because i mean joe henderson if you go back to like the classic blue note records and you know uh, mo for joe and isotope and all the great tracks and records in the 60s on blue note as leader and as assignment i mean he sounded like this i mean yeah. he was already joe obviously yeah i mean like high level but there did seem to be kind of it seemed to be a little bit re i mean in the 70s he had some great 
great recordings too, you know. It was good all around. It man, was good. So like he hit every era where he could kind of stay himself, but then connect like with young players. And it was such a great idea. And I think it was Richard Seidel that came up with this. And I remember I was, I mean, I don't mean to put myself in this. I was a little salty because I, I know I was on the list for this record and, and um, as one of the possible people to be no on No way. It. Yeah, but you know what? I'm glad it didn't happen because everything happens for a reason. That's wrong. You know when people say that? No, not everything happens for a reason. <laughs> You're I like, I wanted to out. be on this record. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't get cheated out. Steven Sky Steven killed Scott's me. Kill you. But, I mean, you, sometimes you can't be like, I'm glad. No, I wish that I had been. But, you know, grateful for the many other It's understandable, man. But it's I remember because they were talking about, they're like, we're going to have some young cats with Joe Henderson and it was going to be a whole thing. And so um, I just... I'm super fr- proud of like our generation because Christian McBride and Gregory Hutchinson. Oh, Hutch is laying it down there, man. Yeah, and Steven Scott, like those, those are like my guys that I can't. That we were like the young lions at the time. And so the fact that they went in there and not only held their own with Joe Henderson, but were you know just like kind of inspired him in a way, yet still being respectful. And it's funny because if you talk to Greg Hutchinson and and um, Christian McBride about these records, they're like. Oh man, like they don't like the way they played on it. Really? Oh yeah, totally. Wow. Like they, they, we, we should have Greg on some time to talk about this because he's just like, nah. And to me, it's like, it's hard because I'll tell him, man, like you already doing all, I mean, you heard that brushwork yeah. and then when he went, I mean, it's just like, he was already there. So I think Greg takes that to mean like, oh, he hasn't developed since then, you know, which obviously he has, but it's kind of like what we're talking about with Joe Henderson back in the sixties and the seventies, the eighties, and then the nineties, yeah. killing it all the way through. No, but there's there's something to the story of hearing a youthful master, someone who is in the early part yeah. of their journey, but obviously insanely talented as as Hutch and, and Christian McBride were making this album. Man, yeah. it's, I love hearing that. I yeah. love it. Especially, I, I guess now it's a different thing because I've heard all of Gregory Hutchinson's career since. So right, I know right, what right. came out of that. So exactly. I, I guess I understand where he's coming from with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so number one, that was number two. Yeah. Number one of our favorite albums from the 90s. In no particular order. Just, just In a very disclo- particular no, order, no. though. Because we left off, I know we, a lot of people like But this. for these seven, we, we kind of yeah. put them in an order of, I think, importance. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is no particular order. I just think that this album, the one that we have for number one, is... It's probably already on the yeah, Spotify it's, playlist. Okay, it, it's, cool. everybody can see it. It's <laughs> it's Kenny Garrett's songbook, of course. Yes, but to me, this is like when I think of hard hitting '90s jazz albums. This is back, the first back, thing, that right? Comes back to when cats were really swinging. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. So this is <laughs> this is uh, this is Jeff Tane Watts, Nat Reeves on bass, Kenny Kirkland on piano, and Kenny Garrett on saxophones. And every track is banger. As, as I know, they say, I there's know. no skips. There's I no know. skips on this one. I just was like, you know, we've talked about some of the other tracks before. So I, I was we like, listened to this on our on the listening sesh, and it was just it's almost it's almost like face meltingly too much for any exactly. Day. But I think this track because and it's funny because this is this is very much Kenny Garrett's record. Uh, a lot of strong personalities, in particular Kenny Kirkland, of course, the late great Kenny Kirkland, that I think did some of his most glorious work on this particular album. And with, I, I should say, just with this particular band, having heard it live, and there's a lot of great YouTube stuff uh, out there available, which is fun. But I think Kenny Kirkland and Jeff Watts, like they were kind of the bridge between the '80s sound and the '90s sound yeah. and beyond. And they probably, uh, you know, not to get into too controversial of an area. For drummers and for pianists, they're probably the two most influential uh, players of their generation, which is still like, I mean, Kenny left us way too early, but Jeff Watts is still out here not only doing his things, but innovating on top of what he already innovated on 40 years ago in a really weird way because he's 
he's not only still contemporary, he's like he's like ahead of himself. Like yeah. he's he's already you know like on the track races when you're circling other people and you're like, "Oh, he's in third place now." No, 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 he's already two laps ahead. Yeah. He's just he's lapping everybody, <laughs> right, you know. Right. And so I think but but certainly in terms of influence both with this particular sound of how they played together. Yeah. Um but also with the quartet and and again, just like with Nicholas Payton kind of typifies that quintet sound in the 90s to me, Kenny Garrett and look, I'd be remiss to not mention Brand from Ourselves. Well, we did mention him on the Roy record, but I mean, how many great '90s records did Brand from? I know Marsalis, that's what I'm saying. You know? We should we need to have a Marsalis Day here. We, we have to just go yeah. through all our favorites because yeah. for me it was hard to. Anyway, we'll get into it later. Yeah. You know what I think makes this album what pushes it over the top are the compositions, yes. the, the tunes. They're yeah. they're as influential. Kenny Garrett's writing on this album is as influential as any of the playing. Yeah, absolutely. And just the way he sets up a saxophone quartet. Yeah. Um, and the balance of that, the balance of the tunes, they're all bangers, but this is not just a bunch of like hits thrown together. This, you know, as we thoroughly discussed and explored on the sesh many months ago, uh, this is an album that listening from beginning to end, it's like listening to just, it, you know, it, it, an, an opera or a great novel or a great movie where it's just like so complete. Each part, there's all these moments that happen and we're going to hear some, let's hear it instead of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> How about that? This is The House That Nat Built from uh, Songbook. This is 1997, Kenny Garrett's Songbook. Album. If, again, if you don't know Songbook, it's really it's such a beautiful work of art. Yeah, that's such a great form. That tune, the house, the now built. Just, it's just two sections. Love it, dude. Yeah. Love it. Well, this was really fun. You know what? I think I think that that it's, it's great that we kind of landed on that. Although we may have a bonus. We do it's have a possible. bonus. We're gonna go out on the bonus. But we have. There's a little controversy because I had a different bonus. But that, that's okay. It's all good. Um, that that the way that they play on that, I just realized is to me 
is such a great example of the 90s sound, if you're going to say what that is, um, in that it was very much like it's always difficult to reduce things down to like that's this and then 10 years the next day. I mean, it never goes just like that. There's an evolution of it. Yeah. But I think for this general era that certainly started before the 90s, even some into the 80s. But if you think about the way this rhythm section was playing, the way that Kenny Gare is playing with them, man, it is right down the middle with the yeah. groove. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like D's. And then there's a lot of polyrhythms underneath, both in terms of but everything totally. is very much not metronomic, but very much like there's not this kind of laid back and, and I don't mind it, but like the kind of way that came up in the 2010s and stuff where it's like everything's pulled back a little bit and not quite lined up. It's just a different style. But in terms of like this era, and I think that's why a lot of people like you listen to that, you know, uh, Stopping the biscuit, where I say, stank, gank, gank. Greg Hutchinson, you know, Tane, like all the Brian Blade, like we're just like right there down the middle of the groove. And, and that that's what gives it that sound, I think. I always get a little bit sad, not sad, but a little melancholy listening to this record because Kenny, we lost Kenny Kirkland yeah. not long after this record, the very next year. Right. And so this is one of the last recordings that he was on, and he's yeah. playing his ass off on the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and somebody mentioned Kenny Garrett. Still, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I might have misspoken. I meant Kenny Kirkland, Kenny Kirkland uh, who left yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, Kenny Garrett's very much, very much still with us and sure. killing it and, sure. and doing amazing. Awesome, man. So we do have a bonus, and I wanted to add this because I knew you wouldn't do it. Uh, because, like I said, you're on some of these of the greatest <laughs> records of the '90s. Peter Martin was out there doing it in the '90s. It just means um, I'm old AF. That's what you're saying. And uh, <laughs> there was a whole era there where Joshua Redman was making uh, albums in the mid to late 90s. Uh, Spirit, the, of, Spirit of the Moment, you know, yeah. uh, what was the one someone just recommended on See, that, one, that, that that was my thing. I don't mind doing I, I absolutely think Joshua Redman still should be on here. Somebody said Mood Swing. Mood Swing. I love that. That would have been album. probably. The other one is, I realize it's not actually, it's from 2000, which is the one with the... Beyond. Beyond. Yeah. I love that. That was recorded, I think, in 99, though. Yeah, But it yeah, came it out in 2000. That, that's a group. But don't sleep on this one, man. This is Freedom Freedom in the Groove. Yeah. If you haven't heard Freedom in the Groove, it's so, so, so much fun. My friends and I in high school learned a lot of these arrangements. Mm. And uh, so I was, I was back in the day before I even knew you. I was copping your stuff. Mm. Uh, and so we'll go out on this. Thanks, everybody, for hanging with us. Check out the Spotify playlist. Yes. And let us know what are your favorite albums of the 90s. We've got some good stuff going on here in the chat. But for our YouTube folks, let us know what you're listening to from the 90s. From the 90s. Very dogmatic. And if you're on the podcast, go over to the YouTube channel. Check out this episode. You can comment there. We can gather to discuss 90s albums but beloved, forgotten, and <laughs> forlorn that, that I'm sure we uh, missed. This is 1996, Joshua Redman, Freedom in the Groove, Joshua Redman on tenor saxophone, Peter Bernstein on guitar, Christopher Thomas on bass, Brian Blade on the drums, and our own Peter Martin on the piano. This is Hide and Seek. Mm. Take care, everybody. Peace. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> I said no. I had to throw in one thing. Are we are we still live? Yeah. Okay. So, because a lot of people have asked me about this, I can attest because <laughs> okay. I was right there. Okay. That whole intro. Yeah. Everybody thinks that like Josh 
overdubbed that or play, played one part. He recorded that just straight through right while we were about to record it. That yeah, was yeah. not added on or don't, 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 all that, all that baseline stuff. That was just, I can attest. Just wanted to say that. Just wanted, our, well, now is that, that we, okay? Now we know. Let's listen again. Okay. There we go. Okay, now I have to interrupt. <laughs> so yeah, we're yeah. trying to end the show here, folks. Yeah, yeah. Was that improvised, your line there? That counter melody? No, that, that harmony? No, Josh wrote that. That was all written. But I think what happened was we were, the the part before it, like I was supposed to play some chords. I was always like trying to figure out what to play over that first chorus. Yeah. And I ended up just like playing it unison yeah. instead of going right to the harmony. Yeah. Because I, I never really, I mean, I played it sometimes, I guess, with some chords or whatever, but I always liked it just kind of that yeah. and then going to the the two separate lines yeah. and then having burns. I mean, but, we played around with some different ideas. But, but he was he composed that counter exactly. Yeah. I'm going to change it a little bit. <laughs> Don't tell him, but, you know. Awesome. That, see, that's the kind of valuable th- insights that <laughs> listeners want to know. Shh. Okay, dear listeners, shh. <laughs> Until next time, you'll hear it. Thank mm-hmm. you.